powerful truth and, and what a blessing it is to hear hear your beautiful voices lifting that up in praise this morning. I, I was blessed by that. Thank you. Thanks, Lee and Megan, for, for leading us in that. All right, I want to play a little game with you this morning. Are you okay with that? Okay. Some of y'all are like, all right, whatever. Um, he's going to do it anyways. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a sentence, and I want you to fill in the blank, okay? These are, these are some really popular advertising slogans that I bet you all know you've got in your, in your heart and in your head, okay? You ready? Here we go. Nike just... Good. All right. Wheaties, the breakfast of... Lay's potato chips. I bet you can't eat... Man, y'all are doing so good at this. Burger King, have it. Bounty, the quicker. Capital One, what's in? Good job. Give yourself a hand on that. That was, that was impressive. Um, it's amazing how those things are in there. We just don't know it, right? But, it, but immediately when somebody asks you about it, somewhere inside of you, it just comes out, right? Um, I'll never forget, this was a, a few years ago. Uh, Leo, my son, he was probably maybe three or four years old, and we were sitting around talking, and somebody happened to say the word empire. I don't know if we were watching Empire Strikes Back or what, but somebody said empire, and all of a sudden, little, little Leo's over there, and he starts singing, 800-588-2300, empire, call today. <laughs> and no, uh, isn't it crazy? Uh, he could barely speak, you know, but he was, you know. Yeah. Um, so the reason why I wanted to share that with you today, I want to start there because I think that uh, the crazy thing about it is the reason why we know most of those phrases and jingles is because companies have spent millions of dollars to make it that way, right? To present them in certain ways and to put them in certain places that for the sole purpose of, of shaping our, our thoughts and our feelings, our, our hearts and our heads, right? The, the, we, we hear and see ads like that thousands of times a day, and, and they work. These companies know that if they can uh, shape how we spend our time, what we think about, that it'll shape how we, we spend our money, right? <laughs> they, they, they know if they can shape the way we think and feel about certain things that we're more likely to buy them. And, and that's just one of, of many, many examples of how this happens over and over again every single day. Constantly there are things that, that, are, that are going into our hearts and minds. Some of them we don't realize even, right? Whether we realize it or not, we're being, we're being shaped and, and formed. We're being influenced, we're being influenced by, by things that shape the way we think, the, what we value, how we relate to people. L little by little, Day by day, these, these forces outside of us are shaping and forming what's inside of us, right? And, and sometimes we're even surprised that what things that are inside of us that, that come out, right? We're being, we're being shaped and formed in every area of our lives. Think about that. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. We're being shaped and formed physically by the things we eat and drink, the uh, amount of exercise we do or, or don't do. We're being shaped emotionally by the relationships in our lives, our friends, our family, our co-workers, the, the past and the present. We're being shaped culturally by all the things we hear and see online and on TV and how our devices are becoming sometimes vices in our lives. We're being shaped spiritually by the things that we allow into our spirit. 
our hearts and souls and mind and strength, those things that are seen and unseen that, that we give our time and attention and affection to. Just like how we spend our time affects how we spend our money, the things that we allow to shape our thoughts and feelings eventually begin to shape our, our actions and our habits. And our actions and habits become the shape of our lives, right? Think about that. that that's kind of where we're going to head for the next few weeks because the good news of Jesus Christ, see, the good news of God's grace is that as, as, as followers of Christ, there's, there's another force that's shaping and forming us, uh, a force that's more powerful than all those other forces. It's the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in us, working through us, right? In our hearts and minds and souls and, and lives. It's, it's shaping us in ways that are life-changing and life-giving. Uh, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to, to make us more like Jesus. So that's what this series is about that we're starting and we're going to be talking about for the season of Lent. The Jesus-shaped life. What does that look like? We're going to talk about not only what that looks like, but, but how we can pursue that in our lives. Today's the first Sunday of Lent, and it's these 40 days leading up to Easter where we focus on uh, reflection, and we also focus on repentance, um, taking stock of our lives, taking stock of what's shaping us, and then uh, surrendering that to God, surrendering ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. This past Wednesday night, we, we, uh, we looked at a prayer from King David from the psalm, Psalm 139, and I want us to, uh, to begin there today. I, I want to invite you to pray that prayer with me. It's going to be on the screen. Would you, would you do that? It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think this is the perfect prayer for those of us that are wanting to, to pursue a more Jesus-shaped life. Because the Jesus-shaped life starts with us allowing God to, to look at where we are in our lives right now and then offering that to God. To say, no, God, not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus calls us to do. And even though Jesus calls us to do it, Jesus knows that we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus in order to live the Jesus-shaped life, right? Uh, the very idea of a Jesus-shaped life is grounded in the good news of God's grace. It's, it's a life that's shaped by the selfless, sacrificial love of Jesus, and, and it's a life that's being formed and, and filled by the fruit of God's Spirit. The purpose of Christ giving his life for us, the purpose of the Holy Spirit's transforming power in us is to sanctify us, to make us holy so that our lives begin to reflect the life and light of Christ. First Thessalonians 4, 3 begins with, it is God's will that you be sanctified. So many times we wonder, what's God's will for my life? Well, right there it says, it is God's will that you be sanctified. Well, but what does that mean? What is, that's kind of one of those fancy church words, right? What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, a few verses down from there, verse 7, it says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. What does it mean to live a holy life? 
Well, that's another one of those fancy church words that I think sometimes gets a bad rap in our culture, right? Think about the times that you've heard the word holy. Usually when we hear the word holy reference, it's usually somebody talking about somebody else, right? Like they're a, they're a holy roller or they're, they're holier than thou, right? It's not a compliment usually when we hear the word holy, right? But, but holy, the word holy in the, in the Holy Bible is this beautiful word that describes this life that's fully embraced and embodying uh, who God is and who God calls us to be. I think we have an opportunity to recapture the true beauty of this word by, by rediscovering the, the true meaning. And I want to share this with you today. One of the greatest explanations that I've ever heard about this difference, this understanding of holiness, uh, was at a conference the staff and I went to uh, a few years ago. We've been going the last few years to this conference called the New Room Conference. My friend J.D. Walt puts it on, and, and it's a great opportunity for us to bond and, and grow as a staff, but it's also a great opportunity for us to hear some, some great worship and to, to hear some great teaching from some great speakers. And uh, one of those speakers that, the year that we went a couple of years ago was uh, a woman, young woman from England. Her name was Miriam Swaffield, and she said uh, the way that she described this was so great. She came out on stage and she had on these, these white skinny jeans. And she says, we've come to understand holiness just like a brand new pair of white skinny jeans. I almost wore some white skinny jeans this morning, but Abby talked me out of it. You can thank her next time you see her. But she said, holiness is like, like wearing a brand new pair of white skinny jeans. Uh, we approach holiness in that way. I've got to make sure that I don't get anything on my new white skinny jeans. So everything I do and don't do is, is shaped by, by, by my desire not to, not to get my white skinny jeans dirty, keep my white skinny jeans completely white. And, and they say, that's, that's what we call holiness. And and that's not very exciting, right? That, that, that's not very inspiring, right? If, if you live a life totally uh, surrounded by trying to not get your white skinny jeans dirty. But she said, that's not really what holiness is. She said, holiness is not the white skinny jeans. Holiness is the bleach. You've seen those commercials, right, where they take a pair of jeans or a shirt or a towel and somebody looks like they've been rolling around in the mud and, and they put that piece of clothing in the bleach and it restores it to its original beauty, right? She said, that's what holiness really is. Holiness is the cleansing, purifying agent. We're simply the visual demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work. You see how that transforms it? See, if that's true, then we don't pursue holiness by trying our best not to get dirty. We pursue holiness by placing ourselves in the bleach, by letting the bleach do its work in our lives. And so what we do is respond to that by, by putting ourselves in a place where we can be washed by the water, cleansed by the bleach. Doesn't that totally change how you view holiness and seeking to live a Jesus-shaped life. To be sanctified means to be made holy, and to be made holy means to be cleansed and purified, made right with God and others, and set free to live a life shaped by the cross and by the Spirit, constantly responding to God's grace in our lives. We're, we're sanctified not by our righteous actions, 
but by the righteous action of God. Salvation from beginning to end is an act of God's grace. It begins before we even understand it. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, talked about grace in three different ways. He talked about God's prevenient grace, which goes before us before we even knew we needed God's grace. God gives us grace. He pours grace on us. That's what prevenient means, that God gives us grace. He initiates before we're even aware of our need. And then through the sacrifice of of Jesus, through the cleansing agent of the Holy Spirit, God has chosen to save us, not only from the power of, of not, not only from the penalty of sin, which saves our life once and for all, but, but also from the power of sin, which, which gives us new life in Christ. John Wesley calls this uh, work of Christ on the cross a demonstration of God's justifying grace. You may have heard me talk about this before. Uh, because Christ died on the cross for my sins, it's now justified never sinned before. When God looks at me, I've been restored to my, uh, to my original beauty, my holiness. My, my genes have been cleansed by the bleach of God's holy work in my life. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news of God's grace. But it gets even gooder. You've heard me say that before too. I know it's, it's grammatically incorrect, but it's theologically true. It doesn't stop there. Salvation continues on. Uh, John Wesley calls this continued work of the Holy Spirit an example of God's sanctifying grace. Paul uh, describes it this way. He says, our continued, our belief in God's continued work of grace in our life uh, is grounded on this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so grace doesn't stop just when we make that decision. It's this continual allowing grace to work in our lives as God pours out grace on us and we respond in faith. We continue to grow in grace and become more like Jesus and more like the, the holy life that God wants for us. The next chapter says this, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, God is the one that does it, but we get to participate in it. We respond to God's grace in our lives. We, we grow in holiness, not by working harder, but by responding to God's grace at each point in the journey, allowing God to do his sanctifying work in us, shaping our lives into a life that looks more like Jesus so that we can love one another the way that Jesus loves us. So, so our work, our doing, is always in response to what God is doing in us and through us. It's God that has the power, and we're the ones that, that give God permission to do that good work in us and through us. Um, there are a few passages of Scripture I want to share with you this morning that, that point to this. Um, the first one in his letter to the Romans, Paul says, uh, Paul reminds us to put off our old self that's, that's shaped and formed by our sinful desires and to, to put on the new self that's shaped by the Spirit 
of God in Christ. Romans 6 says, For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus has set us free from from the old self that's been enslaved by those sinful desires. And he's given us the power to choose new life in Christ, to choose to to walk in the way that leads to life, to, to be conformed to the image of God. In, in Galatians, Paul shows us what this new life looks like. He, he uh, shows us what it means to allow our lives to be shaped by the Spirit. Galatians 5, so I say, walk by the Spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. He gives us this pretty long detailed list of what a life shaped by those sinful desires look like. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not punitive it's it's just descriptive he says there's this life that i want you to lead and and those sinful desires are getting in the way of you being able to experience the fullness of life that's available to you in this place called the kingdom of god this place where where god's reign and rule it's not just for some somewhere out there it's for right here right now he says there's an alternative to that there's a there's a different kind of life that's available to us. It's a life shaped by, by the life of Jesus. It's a life empowered by, by the, the Holy Spirit. He says, this is what happens when we allow God's Spirit to shape our lives. You've probably heard this one before. The, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, joy, peace, patience. This says forbearance. I memorized it as patience, right? Uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is what new life in Christ is available to us. As we walk in step, with the Spirit. That doesn't mean we're not going to stumble. That doesn't mean we're not going to fall and maybe fall back into some of those other things. But that's why it's a continued response to the grace of God in our lives. We fall down. God meets us right there and picks us back up and says, there's, there's new life and it's this way. Walk in step with my Spirit and you'll experience the abundance of this life. It's the kind of life that we don't strive for. We don't strive for it. We just allow God's spirit to grow in us. This is what happens when God's spirit is in charge. We have a part to play in that growth, but the Holy Spirit is the power that makes it grow. We simply put ourselves in proximity of God's power so that the Holy Spirit can bear fruit in our lives. There's a passage in, in the Psalms that 
that reminds me of this, that puts it so beautifully. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by street, <clears throat> excuse me, by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is the promise of the Jesus-shaped life that the Spirit will produce this fruit in us. And so really what we need to focus on is, is really not even the necessarily the sin we need to avoid, but, but the fruit we desire God to grow in us and to pursue those things that lead to life and leave those other things behind. And God's grace gives us the power to choose. So what will you choose? Bible says our first step is simply to acknowledge our, our need for God's grace in our lives. The Bible calls that confession. That's why every time we come to the table of Holy Communion, we begin with that. It's simply acknowledging our need for God and God's willingness to give us what we need. First John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he'll forgive our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Once we put our trust in God's grace, we allow the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit to wash us clean in the blood of Jesus and we can see clearly to lead the way that leads to life. And so we turn to follow. The Bible calls that repentance. It's simply a change of heart and mind that leads to a change in direction and intention. The work of God's, of transformation is God's. It's, it's a work of grace, but our work is faith. Paul calls it faith expressing itself in love. It allows God to change our hearts and minds so that God can change our direction and intention so that our actions and our habits reflect those of Christ. Does that make sense? We have a say in what things shape us, so we're the ones that have to, to get our skinny jeans in the bleach to allow God to do that work in us. It's why we gather and worship. It's why we come to the table. It's why we participate in this season of reflection and, refle and repentance called Lent. It's why some folks give up something in order to take hold of something greater. It's why we let go of something that might seem trivial in order to allow God to do something transformational. It's why we remove ourselves from our own busyness long enough to immerse ourselves in the bleach of God's holiness. What could that look like for you? As I thought and prayed about that this week, it brought up some questions for me. I just want to ask them with you this morning. Maybe this is for you. Maybe it's for me. Maybe it's for all of us. I just wondered this week, what if God's word came to mind for us as quickly as those ad slogans that we shared in before? What if, what if prayer was as much a part of our day as Facebook or email? What if our daily devotionals were as important as the daily wordle you know what that is? If you know, you know. 
What if we chose fasting over fast food once a week? What if church attendance rivaled sports attendance? What if giving gained so much momentum we had to expand all of our ministries and missions? What if every person in our community could fill in the blank, sharing life together in Christ? What if everyone knew that little slogan because of our faith expressing itself in love in our community? What if it starts with you and me today and over the next 40 days just simply making a choice to pursue a more Jesus-shaped life? This Wednesday, uh, we passed out little cards for everybody when they came forward to get their ashes and they had a couple of fill-in-the-blanks on them that I invited everyone to think about and and pray about. I want to invite you to do that uh, today. As as you leave, we're going to have some of these out there on the counter. We'd love for you to grab one and think and pray about this, but I want to share it with you today. I want to leave you with this today. It's an honest assessment followed by an honest Invitation. The first part says, I am currently living a blank-shaped life. I want to encourage you to reflect on that. What are those things that are shaping you right now that may not be bringing the life or bearing the fruit that you hoped they would? And then the second part is a, is a commitment. It says, for the next 40 days, I am going to blank in pursuit of a more Jesus-shaped life. I want to invite you to ask God to show you what things that you might need to set aside or take on temporarily or maybe permanently to focus more on the things of God so that you might allow the Holy Spirit to shape and form your spirit over the next 40 days so that we might together live a more Jesus-shaped life. Would you be willing to pray that with me? We're going to come to the table of Holy Communion today where Christ invites to his table all who love him and who seek to live in peace with him and with one another. It's not my table, it's not a Methodist table, it's Christ's table. And so uh, Christ is the one who invites you to come today. But we begin by acknowledging our need for God. We always begin with confession. So I want to invite you to pray with me as we confess our sins to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, gracious God, loving God, we thank you that that you have created us in your image, that we bear the image of, of the Almighty. Lord, that you have created us to be holy, to, to, to live our lives in relationship with you and with one another. God, we confess that, that sin has separated us from you. As humanity and as individuals. God, we confess that we have all fallen short of your glory, that we've allowed other things to take priority in our lives. We've given our attention and our affection and our time to things that have pulled us away from you. We've not loved our neighbor We've not loved you with our whole heart. We 
we've failed to be an obedient church. We've broken your will. We've not heard the cry of the needy. We've done things we wish we hadn't and not done things we wish we had. And we just acknowledge that today, God. We confess it to you, knowing that when we do, we receive healing and forgiveness. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that proves your love for us. We thank you that in the name of Jesus, we are forgiven. So we approach your table as we approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we receive mercy through your body and through your blood. On the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he he took bread and he broke that bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he, he took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and, and juice, that you would make them be for us the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. I invite you to take your communion packets today, and as you take the bread, would you hear these words? This is the body of Christ broken for you. And as you open the part with the juice. Hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Thanks be to God. Amen. We're going to sing one more song together before our service closes today. And uh, these altars are going to be open. If you'd like to come and pray, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. Just let me know. Uh, you may want to pray in your seats. You may just want to sit there and think and pray and, and consider what God might be calling you to over the next 40 days, maybe the next 40 minutes. I want to invite you with these last few minutes that we have together this morning that you would allow God to speak to your heart and that you would be willing to respond. Let's stand and sing together.